It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. We are officially now, I guess, kind of in college football season. We will talk about that a little bit, but uh, first, obviously, Saturdays were Five Saturdays away from college football. Every Saturday, you order eight pizzas from Shakespeare's, sit in your house, watch 12 hours of football, uh, eat eight pizzas, mention the PowerMizzou.com podcast when you call to order, and they're going to give you a 15% discount off your order if you mention this podcast and if you pay with one card. So don't have eight friends over and say you can all pay for your own pizza. Hopefully you have at least a hundred dollar credit limit. You can pay with your card, and they can pay you back. Uh, Mitchell, uh, Shakespeare's Pizza delivers to South Korea. Uh, I'm you gonna find out. Not sure about that. I could try. Yeah, that would really put the, uh, the catering to the test. I will be. So <laughs> the official start of football season, I'll be uh, celebrating it by going to Japan and South Korea starting tomorrow. So. You all won't hear from me for a little while. I won't miss you. It is the college football hotbed. I, yes, I'm sure that yes. they are fired up about the SEC East previews well, over in Seoul. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Yeah. In Guangzhou, I think they're big fans of, uh, you know, like Arkansas or something. I don't know. That, got that could absolutely following. not even be a real place. That's you where, just that's where the swim meet is. So I know that that's real. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Good I'm, deal. Yeah. I, uh, I was watching a little bit of the British Open this morning, and there was a guy I'd absolutely never heard of from South Korea. So I decided that uh, maybe they'll have the, the weekend on this, this on TV there if he's in contention. So I'm now rooting for him. They might not have it on in America because Tiger Woods is not going to be in contention. But uh, um, so world traveling uh, prior to South Korea and Japan, it was the hotbed of Hoover, Alabama mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit more later on after uh, – after we talk college football with Bill Connolly, but I guess to wrap up media days, um, it happened. It happened. It took me almost as long to get home from Hoover as it will to get home from Korea, which is excellent. <laughs> it took about 17 hours. Uh, you know it is officially college football season when the media begins bitching about how long it took to travel. Well, I, the, yeah, yeah. It sh- I should have just drove. But I understand. I should have just drove. But, yes, uh, yeah, it happened. Uh, Mizzou went first, which was nice for me. Uh, got it, got it out of the way quick. Kelly Bryant was the big star, you know, everyone following him around everywhere. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> there's not like there was a lot of news. I mean, there was one bit of news coming out of it in that Mizzou's having its hearing this week. Right. Uh, and slash we, we, may have already had it. We maybe. think that's this afternoon. Yeah. By the time a lot of you guys listen to this, it might be over. But, uh, let's talk about that real quick before we get to things. I mean, there is going to be absolutely no news come out about it. Like yeah. Missouri's going to present its case right. to the NCAA, and that's it. Like right. they're not they, going to talk gonna, about they're it. They're not going to, and they're not going to like really get a sense. I don't think of how it went. Like they're going to think it went fine, but like <laughs> you, you they're think, not going to get feedback. I don't. <laughs> you don't think somebody's going to meet Jim Sterk outside the room and just go, "Hey, man, FYI, that was great. Like <laughs> yeah, we took probably. a straw poll four to one in your favor." <laughs> I'm guessing probably not. I granted, I don't have you know much experience with these things, but I, I'm guessing that's probably not how it works. Yeah, yeah. And, and just so you guys do know, like here's how it works: they're going to present their case, and then at some point, it could be four weeks from now, and it could be four months from now. The NCAA is going to come out, or the appeals committee is going to come out with the final ruling. There is no more back and forth. There is no more, okay, but can we appeal this appeal? This is it. When they make the decision, whenever that is, we're done with this. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but aside from that, not a whole lot of actual hard news out of media days. Just uh, 
just some weirdness and some some people, a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of a uh, lot of questions from the Alabama media. As I understand it, there was a wee dropped in an old Miss question. Yeah, so. see, I was gone by then, so. Yeah, so uh, that happened, and that means college football is going to happen. We are going to welcome in to preview the 2019 season. We'll talk a lot of Mizzou, but talk a lot of SEC and national stuff with Bill Connolly from ESPN. Bill, uh, does that does that sound normal yet? Are you getting used to that? <laughs> well, you know, coming from SBN to ESPN, it sounds mostly normal, but that last uh, that last letter is taking some getting used to. Yeah, just throw some letters together and say that's where you're from. Uh, Missouri fans are obviously pretty familiar with you, but I, I did want to ask, are you like the uh, first original Tiger Board poster to uh, to then parlay that into a job at ESPN? I mean, as far as I know, maybe John Anderson had some sort of, you know, alias or something going on, but I'm yeah. pretty sure, yeah. I thought maybe Seth Wickersham had posted there back in the that's day. That's right, that's right, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Uh, so, Bill, obviously, you know, a big part of, of what you do is uh, you have developed this system of, of rankings called the S&P Plus. So just wanted to, to start out kind of asking how that all came about. When did you get the idea? How long were you working on it? And uh, and, and what all goes into it? Yeah, so there was uh, not much going on in the Mizzou blogosphere in the, in the mid-2000s. Um, and so when I started uh, just an old blogger blog, I, I decided to – to play around with whatever was out there. I liked baseball stats, never liked baseball all that much, but I liked baseball stats figured, Hey, it's college football. So you Google. So if you Googled college football analytics in like early 2007, uh, Google just kind of shrugged his shoulders. It didn't really have much to offer. So I started playing with it myself and uh, that kind of spiraled out of control a little bit. So yeah, I mean, it started as basically, uh, you know, me entering play by play into a spreadsheet and creating little ratings from it based on, efficiency like the, the arm base percentage so to speak with success rate uh and then explosiveness which was, i was messing with a points per play kind of measure so that's where it started and, and it's been kind of a you know lots and lots and lots of tinkering since then but i kind of like what i like what i have now and and they let me take it they let me take it with me to espn so that was nice I mean, we could probably just ask this question and it would be the entire podcast and, and Mitchell and I would understand very little of it. But for the unwashed masses, what the way it is today, S&P Plus, your formula, I mean, first of all, do you use it more as a predict? It's a predictive type of thing. And what goes into I mean, what are the, the major factors in this this formula without getting too far over anybody's head? Yeah, I mean, the the, the best summary i can give like the twenty thousand foot view is basically it's opponent adjusted it's tempo adjusted and it's based on what's most predictive about college football uh, and so that that success rate part of it is a huge part of it because that's really efficiency is about the only part you can really replicate from game to game uh, over time and so that's a big part of it big plays even if you're good at them you don't really know when they're going to come it's like you know making three pointers in basketball uh you'll go on streaks with with or without them uh, and, and then, you know, so many things about football in general, like turnovers, <laughs> turnovers are extremely unpredictable and unreliable, but they decide games. And so uh, it's just basically about figuring out what's most predictive about the sport and, and leaning into that a little bit, adjusting for opponent and all these other things, too. Uh, last question for me, at least about the just kind of the, the nuts and bolts of how the, the S&P Plus works. I'm curious, what are, what are some of the, the biggest uh, kind of changes and, and tweaks you've had to make uh, through the years? And, and how I'm just curious, how is it maybe different than the other, uh, you know, ranking systems we, we've kind of started to see, such as the, the FPI or, or the Sagarin mm -hmm. ratings? 
Well, I, you know, the biggest part for me, like FPI actually I think goes down to a play-by-play basis, but that's been the biggest thing is, I mean, at least at first, nobody else, because the data was so hard to come by, nobody else was really using play-by-play data for it. So you're, most of the, the saggerins and whatnot are going to use points scored and allowed. Maybe you can find some that use yards and everything, but um, it, it was at the time, at least, I think just about the only one that was really diving into the actual play-by-play data and getting down to that level. So, I mean, the further di- down you dive, the weirder things get. And, and you find things like, you know, that 4-8 and eight Notre Dame team from a couple of years ago probably still being a top-20 caliber team that just had horrible luck. Uh, but, you know, it, it does kind of it, – it, it paints a really interesting picture of the game to me. And I do kind of use it. Yeah, it's predictive, but I do kind of use it as a storytelling device as much as anything, and that's that was really the original point. I was just looking for stuff to write about in the summer of 2007, uh, and and it became a whole a whole different kind of thing. I, I'm just curious did uh, did your formula at that time then predict that Missouri and Kansas would be two of the top four teams <laughs> in the country that season? Oh, totally. Totally. Since it's so hard to go, to go back and check, you can't really prove me wrong. So, yeah, totally. totally. <laughs> um, so, I, I, I guess – Kind of big picture question here, because this is the society we live in where everything is the greatest or the worst, and you have to be completely on one side or the other. Um, You know, the whole analytics thing, everybody seems to either have to take a position, it is the gospel, and this is the only thing you should look at, or it's the worst thing ever, and we should go play the games. Like, I'm going to assume you're reasonable enough to be somewhere in the middle on that. Yeah, I think because I always used it as a writing device from the very start, I mean, That has helped a lot. I'm not trying to, you know, the more I've tried to get to know the coaching profession, that's been a big part of the work I've done over the last couple of years, especially, you know, coaches more often than not, a coach's assumption is correct. You know, there is a reason they do the things they do. And and so really it's, it's about, among other things, when it comes down to the coaching level, you're, you're looking at, you know, are we measuring this thing correctly? Could we be measuring this thing we think that yards or total yards or yards per play is giving us? Is there a better way to evaluate ourselves in this regard or that? So it, it, is, a, it, it is a wonderfully helpful tool. It makes sure you're asking the right questions. It makes sure you're getting the right answers. I can help you evaluate yourself and your players and everybody else more. But, yeah, it's not like – uh, you're you're getting rid of 17 coaches and then just putting a laptop in their place. I, that, I would never that wouldn't really work all that well. I don't think. I'm curious. Do you think, or maybe you've had coaches tell you this that that what you and guys like you have done? Do you think it has changed the way people coach? Because I always say fourth and one, 90 percent of coaches in America are running the yeah. ball off tackle because they'll get less criticism for doing that. Right. than they will for throwing the ball on fourth and one if it doesn't work. Uh, do you think it, the analytics and all that have changed the way that the coaches approach what they do? I think it's changed the way some coaches do and the way, you know, that you just have to hope that, you know, this being a pretty copycat sport, um, you know, it's funny for all the, the analysis, all everything in the world, that fourth and one that the Eagles converted in the Super Bowl against the Patriots probably made more of an impact than – I mean, they, they were – the, the idea of being able to go for it more on fourth and one, that came from analytics, certainly. But the Eagles just doing it and having it work and winning the Super Bowl because of it probably made this enormous impact uh, compared to everything else. So it really is a copycat thing. You see, like, uh, championship analytics. Like, I don't remember how many clients they said they have, but they have a lot of clients at the college level. Um, but most of them aren't going for it on fourth. They're, most of them aren't following the fourth down book the way Army does. And so you need somebody – 
who is an army, who doesn't run the triple option and do everything a little different anyway, if some school out there, if uh, I, whoever, an, an Iowa State or somebody like that were to fully adopt this and go for it 50 times in a given year and actually win a bunch of games because of it, then maybe you see a bunch of teams copying that too. But it really does – it's a lead-by-example thing as much as anything, and college football doesn't necessarily have that example yet. So, Bill, your um, preseason S&P Plus is uh, available to for the public to view, and, and you, you've written a few kind of preview stories using it. You broke did one breaking down the, uh, the SEC East. Just, just kind of to start, I'm curious, historically, how accurate uh, have your kind of, you know, preseason predictions been? Uh, well, it's it's hard to track because I change the way I do them so much that uh, hopefully every year I'm making them better. But I, I don't the track record changes. But I mean, it's solid. And, and this is college football. So you already know who's going to make up about eight of the top 10. So you know, most of the, the headliner things, I mean, it projected Clemson and Alabama to be really good last year, as shocking as that sounds. And, it, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's projected them to do really well again this year, I think. So, you know, so overall, it's going to there, there are times when it's going to overestimate certain conferences. Um, well, conferences that recruit well, for instance, conferences that Missouri happens to be in, um, it's gonna it's gonna overdo it a little bit. But it's a really interesting spot for 2019 because the SEC was really, 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 really good last year. And um, so this year, when you look at the projections and you see whatever it is, like five in the top ten and eight in the top twenty, something like that. I mean, I can kind of justify it, and it's going to be really interesting to see um, how how certain teams with really really hard schedules perform, and and can they play it? Like, can South Carolina play at a quote unquote top twenty level in my rankings if they're playing a top five team every single week of the year or whatever they are? Yeah, I, I think Will Muschamp should be immune from getting fired regardless of what happens <laughs> this year because of the schedule they play. I mean, they play Clemson. Alabama and Georgia, like their easy game, I think, is Texas A&M, you know, so uh, uh, unfair. But Mitchell mentioned the SEC East preview. Let's start there and we'll kind of go outward. But reading through your preview, it tells us what I think I would think uh, without numbers, which is Georgia is clearly at the top. Missouri and Florida, you might be able to kind of throw them in a hat and flip a coin. Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, same deal. They're going to finish there in some order. And then Vanderbilt's a little bit behind. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it makes sense. I think the, the, where the numbers make things kind of interesting is Tennessee. Um, I mean, well, in Florida, like after Missouri manhandled Florida the way they did, from that point, Florida was a really, really, really good football team, and they made up a bunch of ground. And so now, from a projection standpoint, it seems like maybe they're a step or two ahead of Missouri. That would be hard for Missouri fans to accept if we're watching what Missouri did to them. But, um, but, but it's possible at least. But Tennessee is the weird one here because, you know, number one, they do always have the recruiting rankings that if, you know, any sort of projections you use takes that into account, it's going to bump Tennessee a little bit. But the main reason why both my S&P Plus and ESPN's FPI really like Tennessee this year is they return everybody. Um, you know, Jared Guarantano last year had one of the hardest jobs in college football because his line was terrible. The running game was a bunch of, I think, freshmen, if I remember right, freshmen and sophomores at least, uh, running behind a terrible line and losing yards, and he had to run around and make a play on third and nine, and he made a lot of plays. He, he did a really solid job basically with one hand tied behind his back last year. And, you know, they return all the receivers, Marquez Calloway and Juwan Jennings and all those guys. They return everybody. They're no longer relying on sophomores on the offensive line. They, they basically don't have any excuses 
this year. Let's mm-hmm. put it this way. That's, you know, they're, they're a second year leap candidate, like a lot of other teams, like the Nebraska's and everybody else. It, it happens for a lot of schools, but if Jeremy Pruitt is up to it, if he can, if he proves himself to be a high caliber head coach, then, you know, they could easily be a top 15, 20, 25 team. And that would change the, the landscape of the SEC a good amount, considering how much strength then the SEC East would have. I want to ask you a little bit more about that, the experience factor that you mentioned, because what we do as fans and media, and we do it in every sport, we just look back, we look and we say, I don't know, eight guys in the starting lineup last year for a baseball team are returning. So we know they're all going to be better than they were last year. Now, we also know that never happens. You know, three of them are better, two of them are the same, and three of them actually might get worse. So how do you (laughs) account for that? And to me, that is the biggest problem with it, it, not not analytics or preseason rankings we just look and go yeah. i don't know this team brought back 19 guys so they're going to be good well what if those 19 guys were average football <laughs> players and that team doesn't have anybody who can beat them out right exactly um you know that was i think uh back in the 80s when columbia had a losing streak i saw in some magazine like hey they returned 20 starters That's, <laughs> they're gonna be, they might be really good this year and my dad was like yeah but if the starters all stunk right they've lost but, 57 um, games in a row right Right, exactly. Maybe maybe returning starters isn't a good thing. No, like uh, all I can do from a projection standpoint is look at like where on the field return that returning production tends to matter. Like even if you're not very good, if you return a certain level of production, it still probably means you're going to improve off of whatever low level you had. And basically, the way my projections work is it, it emphasizes heavily the quarterback position, uh, which again Tennessee uh, has a. Uh, a uh, returning starter or quarterback it emphasizes the other two areas where which that seem to have a large effect are the receiving core and the defensive backfield and i find that kind of interesting basically i c- i have never been able to find a correlation between like ha- returning lots of offensive line starts and improvement i, I would i assumed there would be something there and there really hasn't been but if you have a high continuity in the passing game, you're probably going to get better. If you return all of your secondary from last year, well, whatever the level it was, you know, if, if you were really bad, then maybe you'll be mediocre this year, that kind of thing. But that's where Tennessee kind of shines. They have most of their secondary, all their receiving core, all their passing game, and they don't get punished as much for uh, still having a pretty inexperienced offensive line, even though they returned uh, quite a bit of the, the starters from last year. So, that's, I mean, that's the way I try to handle it. it. It is based on improving off of where whatever your level was last year. So if you were bad, you're not suddenly going to be great just because you return everybody, but you might at least be below average instead. So, Bill, uh, obviously, you know, you follow Missouri probably a little more closely than, than maybe every other college team. Um, yeah. I'm curious, you know, the, the ranking, obviously the preseason rankings are out, and they have Missouri uh, being maybe a very, very small step back on both offense and defense, but uh, – pretty good chance to win i think they're projected to win just over eight games right about eight games mm-hmm. does that match up with with you know your ex, your personal expectations just based off of your familiarity with the program i think so i mean it is funny thinking back to a couple of years ago where it was like you know they need to make a big step in 2018 because they might be taking a step backwards in 2019 mm-hmm. hasn't really played out that way you know injuries led to a lot more experience in like the receiving core for instance uh, and obviously then having having Kelly Bryant step in at quarterback you're you're not taking a step a humongous step backwards to starting like a redshirt freshman or a sophomore or something there so that it really does seem like this was a nice bridge from last year and the overall returning experience even if some of these guys got experience on other teams uh is is much much better than we expected so 
I, you know, you look at the schedule. I think I have. I think S and P has been projected a favorite in ten games, and then yeah, on average, winning about eight. It is going to depend on the close game situations. But that was one thing that I, I, you know, I mentioned in that in my each preview, and, and I talked about with some Missouri fans on Twitter and whatnot. Um, that that has been an area of statistical and we'll call it statistical underachievement. It could be a complete and total small sample thing that, you know, he's only, Barry Odom's only been a head coach for three seasons that my numbers every single year basically have said like, this looked like a nine win team on paper, but they only won eight or whatever. They've, they've kind of underachieved each year and it could be a sign of total bad luck, or it could be a sign that he hasn't really necessarily figured out the ins and outs of, of the game coaching side of things yet. And, and so if he if that's still a problem, maybe this is like a seven or eight win team instead of a nine or ten win team because of all the close games on the schedule. But it, it, the opportunity is there, and I'm curious what, especially having a, a security blanket like Kelly Bryant, guy who can always convert the third and fours with either a quick pass or a run, uh, if that kind of changes the game management aspect a little bit and makes them a little better in those situations. Yeah, you kind of touched on the uh, the post game win expectancy and close game metric that I wanted to to follow up about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you covered it a good bit there, but I just wanted to ask, you know, is is three seasons you think you know too small of a sample size for people to get get a little bit worried about maybe in game coaching, or or is that uh, you know are, are, should are those fears kind of valid? Yeah, I, I mean it is it is a small sample. It is absolutely a small sample. When I rank coaches based on that, I don't I use it, I think minimum four or five years if I remember right. For that very reason, uh, it certainly matches up with what the eyes have seen, though, with what, you know, watching this and, and you know, just with some of the close games of the years, watching them briefly lose control of, of the South Carolina game each year, basically dominate most of it and then lose because of six or seven minutes here and there, uh, the Kentucky games and all these other things. It, it, it feels like that is a, 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 at least a semi-reasonable uh, complaint at this point. The samples, like I said, sample samples not very big, and he's got time to improve. That's the other part of this whole deal is, you know, he has only been a head coach for three years, not including Rockbridge anyway. <laughs> and uh, you know, he what's S and P say about his Rockbridge team? <laughs> That's right. I, I need to go back and break down that play by play to really get a good uh, uh, impression overall. I think, but. Uh, no, I, I mean, it, it is an area that I think Missouri has lagged in, but it's not necessarily something that they have to forever lag in. All right, I want to jump real quick through some of the other divisions and in, in conferences in college football with you, and we'll go over to the West. And I, looking at your SEC West preview, it's pretty interesting. Shocking, uh, Bill believes Alabama will win the SEC West, uh, as does, I think, everyone in America outside of maybe Auburn. Um, but I, I was interested in looking at it. It projects Alabama, like the number is, I, I think, like 10 and a half wins. Um, mm-hmm. I, like – you know, how does that number – explain why that number is probably – I mean, everybody expects Alabama to win more than 11 games probably, right. but it, it, explain how you get to that number and why maybe for some teams it, it's – and like Missouri, you said they're, they're going to be favored in 10 but projected yeah. to win eight. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of conservative by nature. You're not going to see many teams projected to win 11 or 12. You're not going to see many teams projected to win zero or one either because, like – if you have a 30% chance of, of winning in a given game, it's basically it's basically 0.3 wins on average. And so Alabama has a whole bunch of games where they're 70%, 80%, 90% win probability, and that basically just over time adds up to a loss. Even though, like, yeah, like they're favored in every single game by double digits 
uh, with my S&P. And like the, cl- the lowest win probability is 73 percent. So, yeah, I mean, they're they're as safe a bet as anybody. But over time, it, it, you know, most of the time you're going to lose one of those games just on average. So that's where that comes from. Like if you're at 10.7, I think FPI had them at 11 even. That's about as good as you're going to find this side of Clemson. It, it, they, they really do seem like a pretty safe bet, which is an amazing thing to say, considering LSU, I have LSU projected fourth, Auburn's eighth, uh, A&M's 13th, and they're double-digit favorites in all of those games. It's crazy. So just uh, kind of continuing our, our run through uh, some of the other conferences, what what maybe is, uh, you know, we, you mentioned, obviously, you know, everyone thinks Clemson's going to be good, including, you know, all the all the metrics, all the rankings, they're the defending champs. Uh, yeah. any, any challenges, any challenger for them in, in the ACC? I really, I, I don't think so. I mean, it's, the ACC was worse than the Pac-12 last year. We just didn't notice because Clemson, yeah. uh, you know, Clemson was better than Washington, basically. Therefore, the ACC was better than the Pac-12. Um, it really was a tough conference. And, of course, uh, tough in the bad way. Uh, Florida State's going to get better this year. Louisville pretty much can't get worse. There, there are a lot of teams that are probably going to improve, and maybe it's a little better on average. But especially in the Atlantic Division, I don't. Syracuse, I'm, I'm kind of confused by. I don't really know what to think there. But NC State's probably not going to be as good. Florida State's not going to be good enough, especially since they have to play at Clemson. Uh, it really does seem like about as easy, as clean a slate as possible if they get past A and M in week two. So that's going to be the big. I mean, that's the, really the one thing you can t- think about with Clemson is. Um, you know, they have a new, uh, basically a new front six on defense. They're probably going to be awesome. We, we can fairly assume that. But if they have any sort of brief setback, they do play A&M in week two, and they play Syracuse in week three up in New York. So theoretically, that one of those two games could be an issue. It's just, you know, they'll probably win the other one, and they'll finish 11-1 and at worst. And, and so it, it still seems like a pretty easy slate. Rather than than keep you here all afternoon, Bill, and go through every power conference, give me my the one thing that frankly has reduced my interest in college football is that I can name the four playoff teams probably today yeah. um, with yeah. with pretty decent accuracy. So give me some reason we're not going to see Alabama, Clemson, and some combination of Oklahoma, Ohio State, and a Pac-12 champion. Well, unfortunately, the best answer for that mix might be Michigan, which isn't you know exactly creative in and of itself. Um, Michigan and Tennessee play in the August national championship every year. (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. Um, Yeah, I mean, Michigan has a very good shot this year, and they had a very good shot a couple years ago and couldn't quite get it done. So who the heck knows? I mean, maybe maybe that's exactly what happens. I do. The one thing college football has going for it is even when the top is boring, you can at least eventually it's so deep you can eventually bore down into interesting stories. Last year was a lot harder. Last year you had to bore a little deeper uh, to to keep yourself entertained. Last year when it when it was very clear on like October first that Clemson and Alabama were the two best teams. So. There's always that to lean on, but it, it does. I mean, Oklahoma, we, if their offense slips at all, uh, the, the defense might not be good enough to make up the ground, and, and so uh, maybe somebody else wins. But in that case, it's like Michigan. It's you know Texas, probably the most likely team after that, so that's not going to be fun either. It is blue blood heavy, we'll say. Bill, I uh, I typically don't like you know asking people for a, a sleeper pick just because like we mentioned college football is so top heavy and it it's always right. seems somewhat unlikely. But but kind of since you have the the rankings to back it up, I'm cl- I'm curious. Does you know the S and P plus is there a team out there that you say maybe you know watch out for the the metrics really like this team? They might be able to su- surprise some people. 
I am very curious. When you think about the, both the metrics liking them and then also having a good pass, I'm very curious about Utah. Um, that's a, that's a semi sleep, but they've had a couple ten, uh, top 10 finishes over in this uh, century at least. But um, they are, I think they have them projected as a favorite in 11 of 12 games. Uh, if they beat Washington, they're 12 and 1 at the end of the year. I, you know, it kind of depends on how everything else shakes down, but that, that's quite possibly a playoff spot right there. So I am curious about them. And I think and this is another semi-boring answer, but I'm very, very curious about LSU. That's also pretty blue bloodish right there. But they were that offense found some life late in the year, and their defense should be awesome again. And so maybe that makes things weird. Uh, it'd be a lot more fun to say like Ole Miss or Mississippi State or somebody new, but uh, but LSU could be interesting too. Hey, just play to your audience and say Missouri. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, I mean, especially you know if they remain banned for the postseason or whatever, you know, yeah. you just go ahead and pick them twelve and zero and say, you know, well, if if only they hadn't been banned, <laughs> right? Clearly, they would have been. A, yeah, yeah. Hang hang that UCF banner. Last thing for you, and um, right. I, I want to give you kind of a chance. Obviously, everybody knows how to find ESPN. They can find you on Twitter. But uh, I, I know earlier this year, and I should know if this is already out, but uh, you were were working on a fifty best teams in college football book kind of tell us about that to finish up and where people can can find that if if they're interested in uh reading the project yeah if you go to amazon uh, just search my name on amazon it'll pop up 50 best college football teams of all time um it was a big lie it's not the 50 best teams of all time at all it was just 50 really really interesting teams i wanted to talk about and kind of tell college football's history through and so for instance the 78 missouri team is in that book um the the, the beat nebraska and notre dame and lose to oklahoma state team mm-hmm. uh but it, it really does i think there are 42 different uh, programs represented university of tampa's in there a couple alabama teams a couple ou teams i like the way it turned out and, and yeah if you go to amazon search for uh 50 best college football teams it should pop right up all right i, I just want your opinion on this because i said this on twitter earlier this weekend have always said this it is my opinion <laughs> 1995 nebraska is the best college football team i've ever seen uh in in going through all this research like do you have a best best college football team of all time I think the best, and this is kind of cheating uh, because it was an all-star team, but the best college football team of all time was 1945 Army um, <laughs> with uh, Blanchard and Davis and, and basically everybody, like Mississippi State's best player was on that team. Ole Miss's best player was on that team. So it's it, like it now there was just a team. transfer portal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was just a it was a transfer portal that only a couple of teams could use. But um all-star or not, that team was absolutely dominant. They played like every top 10 team and won every game by 49 points. It was absolutely ridiculous, even though, you know, big asterisk next to how they put their roster together. All right. Well, Bill, appreciate the time, man. Glad that uh, – happy for the new job and that, that you've got maybe even a little bit more of a national audience now uh, here from Columbia. So, uh, best of luck. I'm sure we'll catch up down the road. Much appreciated. Thanks, Bill. Uh, have a good one. Bill Connolly from ESPN, long time with – SB Nation before that, like he said, he just started a Missouri blog. I, I mean, he has uh he's one of the guys, man, that guy does way more work than I would want to do. Yeah, going I we were kind of shaking our heads here in the studios. He was talking about going in play by play and entering data like matter stack. Yeah. That's uh that's dedication. And I mean he's like naming off if you asked me name a receiver from Tennessee, I couldn't do it right no. now. He knows their whole receiver. Actually, well, I I, I could I could, could I remember Callaway because he made some good plays last year and for a little bit in that game against Mizzou, I just thought, man, if they just throw it up deep and far to him every play, they might actually have a chance. <laughs> yeah. And uh it, you know, it, it's all like I think this is good in 
these these numbers and, and systems put a little bit of math to it's better than 25 sports writers saying here's the 25 best teams in the yeah. country. But again, it is like they play games for a reason, mm-hmm. you know, and even the guys who do this are like, this is what's most likely to happen. And the great thing about sports is there's absolutely no way it's actually going to happen this way. Yeah. And I like how, you know, talking about using it more than just a win predictor, you know, talking about being able to really kind of have something to verify, you know, team strength and weak strengths and weaknesses that you can talk to coaches about and just, you know, kind of, you know, compare it to past years and formulate, uh, you know, knowledgeable opinions about all these teams. And yeah, it, it's definitely a useful tool for sure. I've, I've got to think it's made coaches lives even more miserable though, because <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. what do you see after a game with a minute and 40 seconds left, this team had a 97% chance to win the game. Yeah. I mean, uh, that puts a little number to something that, like, we think we all see, like, the coach really screwed this one up. But now, like, there's tangible proof. Yeah, and just, you know, with more and more people having access to, to all these analytics and stuff. And, and you know, coaches have always, I think, kind of, you know, you hear from all these people who have these grand ideas about your team, but now people have more to back them up. So, yeah, I'm sure it's, you know, it's made their lives easier in a sense and that they it, it's a resource they can use as well. But it's also, uh, yeah, like you said, it, it lets everyone else know when they screw up. Yeah, all these numbers have uh, have made for, I think, in every sport, a more educated fan. And then you go on Twitter and everybody yeah. forgot about being educated. Yeah. It's well, just, it's, uh, it's educated. To, it's You know, they use it when it fits their preconceived right. notions about the team or the coach or whatever. But then right. if not, it's, yeah, you know, DeMarcus says he was shaving points. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Uh, so we are five Saturdays from the start of the season. Missouri will start it in Laramie. Like, we're going to break down. Every team on the schedule, everything about Missouri. Uh, we started our position previews this morning. The depth chart came out this week. Like, I don't know. I always say the reason that some of this stuff in July and August is boring, like, it's our job to make it boring. Like, it used to be the depth chart would come out and you would go, oh, there's all this new stuff. Well, no, you've known this since March. Yeah, definitely. You know, we would. That one, they're not. They didn't like decide any key position battles on the, right. this depth chart. And two, yeah, you know, we've we've kind of broken down already most of the roster kind of throughout the off season. So, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll but you know, when we by the time we get to camp, uh, we'll have have gone through every position and kind of given you the the key things to watch and uh, maybe have a little bit more clarity about who are the you know eighty five scholarship players on the roster and whatnot. If if Trey Williams yep. is back, if Sean Robinson's eligible, so. We're getting there. We really are. Yeah, definite questions to be answered. So just uh, I'll throw this out because I don't think that you will be here for a podcast before camp starts. So I always like to just do a way, way too early. Here's what we say. We'll revise it after camp. I would pick Missouri as of today as the 9-3 and three football team this year. Yeah. See, I'm torn because, like, I, I I think 9-3 and three is very, very possible, maybe even the most likely outcome. But I just, like – you know, and and people say this is just a Missouri thing. It's not. I just you see every year a team is, lose one of these games to another talented team that they catch. You know, on the wrong day. I could see that happening going to eight and four. Um, but I, if I had to pick a most likely outcome right now, probably it would be nine and three. And, and see, to me, nine and three actually includes them losing a game. You don't think they should yeah, lose? I mean, that's true. Georgia's a likely loss. Let's even Florida is going to be a coin flip game. So say they I, lose that. Yeah, one. I mean, they, they're I don't think they'll be favored, although it's late enough in the season. Who knows? But, and it's at home. Yeah. It, it's not impossible. But it, it, to me, I mean, the season really comes down to you've got South Carolina, Kentucky, Kentucky Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah, those three games. Like if you go three and oh in those games. Yeah, I think you've got a really good shot at a 10 win season. Yeah, if absolutely. you go oh and three in those games, it, it's going to be. 
not a very fun offseason. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, definitely, yeah. I think 9-3 and three is very very possible. I think it, you know, I think that's kind of the goal uh, for everyone around. Like, 10 wins obviously would be great, but I think 9-3 and three is like a realistic goal, step forward no, for nobody everyone. Could be everyone angry everyone should be happy. Yeah, nobody yeah. should be angry at 9-3. Yeah. and three. Yeah. Somebody will be. Oh, for sure. But, yeah, uh, yeah so – uh, I guess over the next uh, 10 days or so, we can follow you on Twitter for swimming updates from Japan and South Korea. We'll see about that. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know we'll how much I can even dad. access the internet. But, uh, yeah, you know, you can probably find a more re- reliable source if you want to follow the world championships, which I recommend. It's very exciting. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, by the time Mitchell gets back in town, we don't have a camp schedule yet. We do know it starts August 2nd, which mm-hmm. is, I believe, 15 days from today. It might even be. Is that a Thursday or a Friday? I think it's. I think might it's two be. weeks from today. But today is what? Today's the eighteenth. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. We, I people it, don't I don't need know. to listen to us have this math struggle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Get out your damn calendar. Right about two weeks from today. It's close to two weeks from today. Figure out when August second is. Uh, Night at the zoo is a week from Saturday. We are going to have extensive coverage of that. Plenty of previews about the season. And who knows what else might happen. So uh, thanks for listening again. Really appreciate Bill Connolly joining us. Uh, One more quick mention. Make sure whatever you're doing, look, you can't go outside. If you're listening to this in the state of Missouri, you can't go outside this weekend. So call Shakespeare's, have them bring your, just have them bring over eight pizzas tonight. And then you have to do nothing all weekend. Yeah. Like put them in your fridge, reheat them. They're very good. Mention the powermazoo.com podcast. You get the discount. We've taken care of your whole weekend. So Thanks to us. Thanks to you for listening. Anything else? No, that's it. All I'll, right. I'll, I'll be miss, here next week. Yeah. Mitchell won't. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'll have to come up with something to say for 30 minutes. So we'll talk to you then.